How many of you think you understand the Sacramento Kings? You're all liars. Nobody understands this Kings team after getting their butts kicked at home to the now seven-win Detroit Pistons and the day after doing absolutely nothing at the trade deadline, the Sacramento Kings dominate the defending champion Denver Nuggets and beat them for the second time this season. Yeah, this Kings team doesn't make sense, but we're still going to try and talk about them right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all season long. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on today and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports anchor and reporter for ABC 10 News, and it is my job to talk about the Sacramento Kings. It is my job to watch every second of Kings basketball basketball, analyze it, break it all down, and try and figure out what this team is all about. Well, I'm here to tell you, I think I know some things, but for the most part, like all of us, when it comes to making sense out of this Kings team, maybe I just know nothing. And you know what? Maybe I should stop trying to make sense of this Kings team and just enjoy the ride, right? The Kings losing to the Detroit Pistons at home following it up with a big-time win, really a, a statement win, one of the best games the Kings have played so far this season over the Denver Nuggets, like I mentioned in the intro, beating the defending champions for the second time this season. Now, granted, in both occasions of the Kings facing the Nuggets, they were in Sacramento, and the Nuggets were coming off of a, or were on the second night of a back-to-back. Not that that matters, because nobody feels sorry for the Sacramento Kings on the second night of a back-to-back, so why should we feel sorry for the defending NBA champions? Regardless, it's bad for podcasts to say, hey, forget making sense of this team, let's just enjoy the ride. Really, the the ups and downs, the roller coaster of this Kings team, maybe this is just who they are. And the good news is, even though the lows feel really, really low, in the grand scheme of things, they're nine games over 500, right? They're 30 and 21. Granted, in the Western Conference, that's not good enough to get you in the top six right now. Even after tonight's win, the Kings are still sitting in the seventh spot, a.k.a. the first play-in spot. So the Kings, record-wise, are on a similar pace to where they were last season around this time. And yet, they're in a worse spot standings-wise. That has more to do with the West and less to do with the Kings. However, this season for Sacramento, of course, is all about growth. It's internal development, building those championship tendencies, trying to get this team further down the path towards becoming a championship contender. And it feels like there have been more speed bumps and more roadblocks this season compared to last season. And maybe we expected that. Last season was about vibes and fun and the dawning of the beam and uh, the return to greatness. Who cares about any of the struggles from last season because that season was just so much fun. The Kings are relevant again. This season, we knew there were going to be bigger expectations. It was going to be more difficult for this Kings team, especially with them betting on internal improvement, the growth of this core, and choosing not to add on to it and address some holes to this roster. Well, not only did the Kings make that decision this past offseason, the Kings made that decision yesterday at the trade deadline, choosing to, to stay put. And really, 
the the best things that I can do or, or, or point to to try and figure this team out are, are a couple things. One, when this team is dialed in and when they approach a game focused and ready to go, they are they're capable of beating anybody. I won't say they're elite or unbeatable or anything like that. The the Kings reach unbeatable status when they're at that that scoring level where they have three or four guys scoring 20-plus points and, and everything they're putting up just seems to be going in. They're playing with pace, getting up and down the floor. That best version of the Sacramento Kings, I do believe, is, is basically un, unbeatable. But this version, the, the dialed and focused version of the Kings that we saw tonight against the Denver Nuggets that is when they are capable of winning and beating anybody on any given night. And I, I, I don't fully understand what it takes to, to, to bring that mental focus and to be that dialed and locked into every single game, all 82 games during the regular season, regardless of the teams you're playing, whether they're good teams, bad teams, on the road, at home, Wednesday night or Friday night. I don't understand mentally and physically the toll it takes to be that prepared and locked in and focused all 82 games of the regular season. But hopefully this Kings team can learn how to play this way without a circumstance like the Detroit game or without the circumstance of a a trade deadline. Maybe this team, the fact that they knew that nobody was going to be traded and they were all together, maybe that helped kind of reignite them and fire them up and get them excited to play again. I don't know, but hopefully it doesn't take so many uh, outside circumstances or bad circumstances to wake this team up. If the Kings, I mean, consistency is such a buzzword, and it's a word that we use a lot here on Locked on Kings. It's a word you hear talked about or used in sports, period, with every single team. Trying to be consistent is the name of the game. And even the best teams, like the Denver Nuggets, for example, even they can struggle on certain nights, and even they deal with inconsistencies. But if the Kings can consistently bring a focus and determination to the table, the vast majority of the times they play, they are a good to hopefully one day great basketball team. It's when they take the floor and they're lackadaisical like they were against Detroit or they don't give their all uh, and and play ugly basketball like they did against the Memphis Grizzlies on the road. It's those kind of games, the loss to Charlotte earlier this season, getting blown out and obliterated at home by the, 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 I don't know, the Boston Celtics, for example. Like games like that where they're just not focused, they're just not dialed in, they're just not locked in. That's where we see this team start to unravel. So maybe that is an aspect of figuring this team out and figuring out the ups and downs. Another aspect is actually pretty simple. This Kings team lives or dies by the three-point shot. They do. Now, that can be sometimes a recipe for success, right? Check this out. Statistically, the Kings shoot 33.1% from three-point range in losses. In wins, 40.1%. That's a difference of 7% between wins and losses. When this team knocks down the three ball like they did tonight, they shot uh, over 50% from three-point range tonight. When the Kings are, are, are shooting at a high clip from the perimeter, they're a very, very difficult team to beat, right? This Kings team is very much feast or famine from three-point range. And it's not just one or two guys, right? It seems like when one guy gets going, everybody gets going from the perimeter. There's a game every now and then where, like, Keegan went off from the perimeter and had his near 50-point game, or De'Aaron Fox is, is knocking down three after three after three, and the rest of the Kings are trying to keep up, right? But this team feeds off of each other's energy. And if one guy has it going and is balling out and is feeling it, it feels like another two or three are right there behind him. I love the fact that the Sacramento Kings can have nights like this where they shoot lights out from three-point range. And another aspect of, of 
their shooting performance tonight is the fact that they hit a boatload of threes, but they didn't take a boatload of threes, right? It's not like they're shooting 45, 46, 47 three-pointers on these games where they're shooting 40 to 50% from deep. In fact, more often than not, the games with the higher three-point volume are actually the games that they're struggling from the perimeter because they're trying to shoot their way out of it. I, it, 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 It's not as simple as, okay, if the Kings can just find a way to knock down the majority of their three-pointers, they'll win da- basketball games. No duh, Matt. That's just called common sense. To me, it's finding a way to limit those famine games, those drought games, those nights where if you're shooting 33 34% from three-point range or worse, don't keep chucking them up, right? Get to the rim, get to the basket, get to the foul line, explore other options than just continuing to launch from three-point range. Living and dying by the three ball more often than not is a recipe for success for the Sacramento, or recipe for disaster, I should say, for the Sacramento Kings. Now think back to the playoff series, right, against the Golden State Warriors. Neither the Kings or the Warriors shot well from three-point range in that series. Neither of them did. The Kings managed to win three of those games and take that series to seven games. The Kings shoot better from three-point range in that series. They absolutely make it into the second round. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Maybe the Golden State Warriors, too, could share their perspective and say, yeah, if the Warriors shot better, the Kings probably don't push them to seven games, or the Kings aren't in a position where they're up 2-0 to begin with. Maybe they're right. Ifs, ands, or buts about it, like it's it's uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Either, regardless, we know that the Kings can win important, meaningful games on nights that they aren't shooting the basketball well. But if they're going to consistently struggle from three point range, the way that this team is made up, typically that is where they struggle. All right, let's talk about something that hopefully every show involving the Sacramento Kings is talking about, and really. The podcasters, the writers, the, the the journalists, the media members outside of Sacramento should be talking about this too, but they're not. I'm not seeing any of it on social media tonight. No surprise. Hey, DeMondis Sabonis just outplayed Nikola Jokic. Anyone want to talk about that? Anyone want to tweet about that? Because we know Nikola Jokic is the, the, the creme de la creme, the creme of the crop, right? He's the best center in the league, rightfully so. I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and tell you that DeMondis Sabonis is a better center than Nikola Jokic. But what we consistently talk about here on Locked on Kings is that Sabonis does things that only Jokic can do. He's second to Jokic or just behind Jokic or does these things that I guess Jokic does so well or has done so often now that we're used to it to the point that it's not impressive for uh, for Sabonis anymore. Or Jokic can do it and it's, oh my God, look at this unbelievable center and what he's doing with the Denver Nuggets. DeMontis Sabonis does, it's like empty calories, empty stats. Okay, well, the Kings have played the, 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 the Nuggets twice this season. Both times, the Kings have beaten the Nuggets. Granted, Jokic had a better game the first time they played than he did tonight. But regardless, I know one game or two game sample sizes don't tell the full story. Again, I'm not going to even suggest that Sabonis is a better player than Nikola Jokic. But on nights like tonight where Jokic is outplayed by Domas, we have to talk about it. It has to be pointed out. We can't just ignore... Sabonis' successes, and when Sabonis head-to-head outplays centers, and he's done it all season long, outplayed the best centers in the league. He's been doing it all year long, and nobody talks about it. This is the second time this season he's beaten Jokic, and tonight he had 17 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, and a steal, shot 7 of 9 from the field. That number is important because Jokic outscored Sabonis, 23 points, but only had 8 rebounds and 7 assists. That's still a good stat line for any big man in the league. Maybe a little disappointing by Jokic standards. But Jokic was 9 of 17 from the field. So Jokic shot 8 more shots than DeMontis Sabonis did. 
and only scored six more points. So it's not like, oh, wow, Jokic is outscoring Sabonis because he's more efficient of a big man. No, the, the, the Nuggets need Jokic to score more than the Kings need Sabonis to. Now, Jokic and Sabonis are two unbelievable passers. Jokic is the best passing big man I have ever seen, period. And I grew up watching Vladi Divac here in Sacramento. So I know that Jokic, uh, an elite skill of Jokic's is, is to assist and, and, and find his teammates. But Jokic's first instinct is to score. That's what the Nuggets need from him. Sabonis's first instinct is to get his teammates involved, is to facilitate and run the offense. These are two players that have different roles on their teams that put up relatively similar numbers. And with this triple-double tonight, DeMontis Sabonis now has 16 triple-doubles on the season, which passes Nikola Jokic. I don't know if that number is going to hold up, but as of right now, DeMontis Sabonis is 2-0 against Jokic this season and now has more triple-doubles than Nikola Jokic does and is still not an all-star, and still does not get the respect that he deserves. Today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level, like the 2024 Nissan Rogue. It's perfect for city drives and for great escapes. It has class-exclusive Google built-in, and it's an always-updating assistant to call on for almost any need. Gone are the days of connecting your phone, Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 23 or rather 12.3 inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. Nissan's incredible lineup also includes the 2024 Nissan Armada. It will change what you expect from a full-size SUV. Picture a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 people in first-class luxury and style. Tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 Armada. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go on your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com So we're feeling better to end our day with a Sacramento Kings victory over the Denver Nuggets. Earlier in the day, we had the post-trade deadline press conference from Monty McNair, and there were some mixed responses to this. I have uh, a few different clips from you or uh, for you from this press conference and, and responses to each one of these clips. Let's, let's roll that first clip from Monty really kind of summing up the decisions around this trade deadline, what they were looking at, and why they decided to stay put. I think the the biggest thing is we're, we're always, almost all of our conversations are about uh, as we you know really prep for the deadline for for months is okay. What what will this do for our our team ba- counterbalanced against the cost uh, versus what we're what we can do with what we have already in house? And uh, I think I, I complimented our group. I said. We're, we have, we have a lot of good players. We're accomplishing a lot of good things. We obviously, you know, our goals have not fully been reached, but um, we're in a good spot where we, where we can have those conversations. Sometimes the conversations are, uh, are much different about what you're trying to do. Um, I think the West is hard. The West is tough. Uh, it's always tough. It's even tougher this year. I think we're, we're on the same win pace as last year when we were the three seed, and now we're, I think we're in six or seven right now. So uh, the West is going to be tough. We're going to have to earn it. We got 32, I think, games left. Um, but uh, if we didn't think that the 17 guys that we got here could, could get it done, um, that may have changed what we did. But uh, these guys have shown um, 
you know, dating back to last year and, and this year, some growth, especially on the defensive end, I think has been exciting for us. Um, you know, we know we got to improve the offense back closer to what it was last year. We do that. We think we make some noise, but we got we got some work to do because the West is is tough. You know, one to twelve, thirteen this year, and um, every every game is going to be a dogfight. I'm glad Monty acknowledges the the strength of the Western Conference there towards the the end of that clip because it's unavoidable and, and and you can't ignore it. However, what I really took away from that clip was what he said at the very beginning. Right, he's talking about weighing the the cost for making improvements in the trade market versus just how much you can improve by sticking with what you have, right? It's, it's, it's like your improvement minus cost versus just sticking and staying put. I understand that way of thinking completely, especially when it comes to a Kyle Kuzma or Jeremy Grant type bigger move that would have cost a significant amount of assets and potentially had a high reward, but also could have handicapped you in the future too much and and not gotten this team as far as maybe you would expect them to go by trading away as many assets as it would have taken to, to make that trade happen. So I understand that, that thought process from that standpoint. But then I look around at, what other teams did, specifically like the, the Phoenix Suns. They go out and get Royce O'Neal, a player that I think the Kings could have used, that type of, of rotational piece, right? We're not talking about a guy that's going to come in and start right away and be a game changer for the Phoenix Suns, but someone who's going to bolster their bench and bolster their rotation, which is something I really felt the Kings needed to do and something they needed to address at this trade deadline. They traded three second-round picks for Royce O'Neal. Now, maybe I value second round picks significantly less than I should or significantly less than the Sacramento Kings do. But when we're talking about weighing the cost of three second round picks for reinforcements to your bench versus sticking with the group that you have right now with so many question marks on your bench, to me, the the, the risk and reward seems pretty straightforward and seems comfortable at the very least. So I understand what Monty is saying there. I just don't necessarily think that the moves available, moves that other teams were able to pull off, granted, I don't know if those deals were available to the Sacramento Kings or not, but other teams were able to pull off kind of minor moves without sacrificing a whole lot that Sacramento could have taken advantage of and could have used. Like I said, the defense, I do see the improvement, and we've done some really good stuff. Um, You know, I think Keegan in particular has taken a step on that end, Um, but I think we're seeing also... This is, I think, maybe one of the benefits of that continuity second year with with Coach and his system. Um, we, we certainly haven't brought it every night on the defensive end, but overall we, we've, we've seen our rank improve. We've seen some really good performances. Um, that said, we have not maintained our offense, and that's that's an issue. we we got to get better on that end because if we had maintained our offense and seen the defensive improvement, we'd be in a much different position. So we, we know those things. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think – the, the improvement has been a positive. Not being able to maintain some other aspects um, is something that we continue to work on and, and need to get better at. I really like in this clip that Monty brought up the offensive regression because the defense has improved, although it's only marginal improvement. In fact, the defense, while it is better from like a 1,000 feet up and statistically it is better in certain areas, where this team is really, really struggling, which we've talked a lot about recently here on the Lockdown Kings podcast, is opponent three-point percentage. Not only are the Kings second to last in the league in opponent three-point percentage, meaning opponents are shooting the second highest 
per, uh, three point percentage against the Kings than than any other team in the league. In addition to that, like the Kings are are, are they're allowing a three point shooting percentage that is one of the highest in NBA history at this point in time. They're like top five in NBA history. Granted, tonight, in a victory, they held the Denver Nuggets to 34% from three-point range. Great to see, but that's tonight, right? For the most part of this season, the Kings are allowing teams to shoot between 39 and 40% from three-point range, which is way, way too high. So yes, the defense has improved, but still, this team has a significant glaring defensive issue that's leading to a lot of losses for this team, or a lot more losses than maybe they should have had they had a little bit better of a perimeter defense. That being said, yes, the offense has taken a step back, a significant step back. And we know that this core that is here in Sacramento is capable of being much better offensively. While they're trying to improve defensively, and Mike Brown has made that a focal point for this Kings team, offensively, going back to last season when the Kings had the best statistical offense in in NBA history, we know this Kings team can be better, should be better. Monty even pointed out later in a clip that I'm not going to play for you. Monty talked about how he thinks it's the pace that has really dropped off, and this Kings team has stopped pushing the tempo and playing as fast as they know they're capable of. I'm just happy that Monty talked about that when asked about the, the, the defensive struggles. Yeah, I think if we were more consistent, we would be further up the standings, for sure. Um, I think the the positive to take from it is for every you know loss that, doesn't feel good that means we've also had some pretty good wins if we're still on the same pace um you know I think we're 12 and 8 against the top 10 these these playoff play-in teams in the west so that's shown that we can do it but uh the NBA these days I mean it is there there are some of the records maybe aren't there for teams but there's no nights off we can't take nights off if we want to get what we want to get and um at the same time we've shown that we can go into some of these on the road in tough places and win. So we know we can reach those heights, which is good to see because those are the teams that are going to be there, uh, hopefully with us in April, May, and June. So um, it's, it's disappointing, of course, um, that we can't seem to do it every single night. Last year, I think we did a great job. I think after our initial start to the season, I don't think we lost more than two games uh, for the bulk of the year in a row. We were able to ride it this year. We've had maybe some more ups and downs, but it means we've had some ups. If we can continue, like, to, to the question that James asked, um, you know, we can keep our defense there, offense can improve. Same thing with our record. If we can, uh, you know, be, bring it a little more consistently, um, you know, and match those highs, we can contend with those those teams that have, you know, kind of separated themselves from us in the standings. That's where we want to get to. This clip, Monty looks a lot better, or Monty looks a lot more right in this clip after tonight's win than he did earlier on today. But I still slightly disagree with with what Monty said there. I understand his point about the Kings have performed well in their 30 wins. Some of their wins have come against really, really good teams, right? They've beaten the Nuggets twice. They've beaten the Thunder twice. They've beaten the Timberwolves on the road. In fact, I think they gave the Timberwolves their first home loss of the season uh, at that point. They've They've played well and beaten good teams. There are other good teams like the Clippers and the Pelicans that have given them fits to this point. But Sacramento has performed well in a decent amount of games this season against teams that are at the same level or higher than them, especially in the Western Conference. That being said, this is where I disagree with Monty because even though the Kings have nine more wins than they do losses, and I don't think this is just a pessimism in me talking, To me, the losses have been more memorable and more concerning than the wins have been exciting or encouraging, if that makes sense. 
Like that doesn't mean that their 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 wins aren't impressive. It just means the losses have stuck out so much in the the, the struggles of the Kings team, this Kings team, the, the the pitfalls in these losses have been so alarming and so glaring that they outweigh and outshine, in my opinion, the wins, even though there are more wins than there are losses, right? This Kings team has been inconsistent. Inconsistent in, in, in many, many ways. Truth be told, one of the ways this team has been the most consistent is how they've been losing basketball games. They've consistently been beaten down. They've consistently struggled against certain types of teams, typically long and athletic teams, and they consistently have struggled against shorthanded teams or teams that are worse than them. That That's where I, I push back against what Monty said there. Yes, this team is performing well against good teams, and this kind of leads into the next clip where he's going to talk about like getting to the playoffs and, and, and the playoff experience from last season. I'm glad Sacramento can play well, and like I said earlier, when the Kings are focused in, they can beat and hang with anybody in the league. But they still have obvious issues that have led to glaring losses that other teams are paying attention to too, and you best believe they're going to try and exploit those issues if the Kings do get into another playoff series. We know we got to win the 82 games in the regular season for sure, and the West is going to be tough, and and right now we're I think we're not even in the, the playoffs. I think we're, we're seventh by tiebreaker or something. But so, you know, we know we want to get into the top six first and then hopefully into the top four for home court. At the same time, um, you know, when you get to the playoffs, it's a different game, which we saw last year. Um, I think it's great for our guys to have that experience. Um, we know defensively I think we did a good job against Golden State, relatively speaking, stepping up our game. That's carried over to this year. But we also – the offenses are, are only getting better. I don't even know what it is. I think the league's up two points as a whole. So I think we're, we're similar to where we were last year, but that's not the rank's not there because everybody else is getting getting better and catching up to what maybe we did last year. So we got to find ways to improve. we got a target on our back. Teams are going to continue to guard guard us um, you know, in ways that they see work in other ways. We're going to have to adjust and get better. But we get that back up into the you know top ten, top five. Um, with our defensive improvement, that's how we can make some noise. So this clip, I think maybe I might be exaggerating too much, but my takeaway from this clip was that the Sacramento Kings have gone from a situation where at the beginning of the season, Mike Brown and De'Aaron Fox were talking about legitimately contending this year and trying to win an NBA championship, which you want everybody on your organization to say. You don't want anybody to go into the season and go, yeah, we're just trying to make the playoffs, or yeah, we're just trying to make it to the second round. You want everybody to, what are you playing for if not playing for an NBA championship? But I genuinely believed Mike Brown, at least, when he said that that he wanted to build the foundation and, and push this team towards actually legitimately contending. I didn't believe that the Kings were contenders coming into the season. At no point this season have I felt like the t- Kings are actually legit contenders, even with De'Aaron Fox playing at that MVP caliber level he was to start the season. That being said, I feel like this Kings team, and I feel like what Monty kind of said there in that clip is, Hey, we just got to get to the playoffs. Let's just get to the playoffs. Once we get to the playoffs, we have that experience to lean on from the Golden State Warriors series. We have De'Aaron Fox. We have DeMontis Sabonis. We're going to learn from those mistakes. That's where you're really going to see us lock in. That's where we're going to get to that next level. And to some extent, I understand that. Like, the Kings get back to the playoffs and and dial in on the defensive end of the floor, hopefully knock down some more shots. De'Aaron Fox plays at that MVP level. DeMontis Sabonis has a better series than he had against Golden State. Keegan Murray is more effective for seven games. Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter do something 
during that playoff series, yeah, the Kings should be better off than they were last year. I understand that to some extent, but I think this Kings team should be taking the regular season more seriously than Monty suggested in that clip. Now, to be fair, he did say, of course, winning games and and taking the 82-game regular season is important and trying to get this team to a, a top-four seed to get home court advantage and certainly a top-six seed so they can avoid the, avoid the play-in tournament. Of course, that's a goal, and that's important to this Kings team. But this... This was the kind of statement that I would expect a general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers, Golden State Warriors, Phoenix Suns, one of those older veteran teams that knows that all they have to do is get there, and once they get there, they're good enough and have enough experience to kind of take them from there, right? Teams like the Los Angeles Lakers, the Miami Heat from last year, the Golden State Warriors a couple years ago when they won the NBA Finals, they're just trying to get to the playoffs. They don't really care what the seed is because they know they can win on the road. They can win at home. They have guys that have been there, done that before, and they can handle business once they get to that stage. Sacramento hasn't earned that. Sacramento is not one of those teams. They've been to the playoffs one time, and they lost in one playoff series. So again, maybe I'm reading too far into this, but my takeaway from that quote from Monty was a little, little too passive about the regular season than what I would have liked. Our information is good. We know what the opportunities are, uh, generally what the costs will be, uh, really well before deadline day, <laughs> the final day. Um, but it's, um, you know, the exact details maybe obviously aren't known, but um, we have a very good sense. This is, you know, as, as we kind of got closer and closer, uh, was about what, what we expected. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, for us, uh, at the end of the day, we, we chose mostly to, to stand pat, but, um, you know, we, we knew what was out there and, uh, Wes and Phil, Paul, our whole group there, we're doing a good job of talking to teams and, and trying to figure out what's, what's going on and what, where opportunities may lie. This last clip is essentially like at this point hearing this, like Kings fans, we, we kind of just have to either trust or not trust Monty in this front office, right? He is saying they knew for a long time what the price was going to be for the players that they were interested in. They explored their options. They had conversations. The price stayed consistent with what they expected. And ultimately, they decided that that move was not the right move for their team. I don't know if that was for Kuzma. I don't know if that was for Grant, whether it was for Pascal Siakam. Who knows? We know because of reports, and we know just based off of common sense, that the Kings were making calls. The Kings were involved in conversations. Ultimately, they decided that those moves were not worth it. We don't know what the specifics of those conversations were. We'll never know the specifics of those conversations. So it comes down to, do you trust your general manager that he took all that into account and made the right decision, or do you not? That's up for you to decide. But I think Monty McNair has earned our trust. Like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is America's number one fantasy sports app with over 3 million members. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. You pick more or less than two to six player stat projections, and you can watch the winnings roll in, win up to 25 times your money. However, it gets even better than that. Right now, they have the uh, the, the demons options for you, which are bets that are a little bit more risky, a little bit more significant. Maybe the normal bet is De'Aaron Fox will score more or less than 25 and a half points. And then the demon pick is De'Aaron Fox will score more than 29 and a half or 30 and a half points. But if you hit those demons, you can win up to 100 times your money. PrizePix offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday, for example. Each Tuesday, PrizePix discounts select players, providing up to 25% 
to even more value, right? So you get better odds and, and more likely picks to get right at 25% increased value. Also, Price Picks now offers Apple paid for quick and easy deposits into your account for basketball season. If you're thinking about giving Price Picks a try, absolutely do it. Join us all playing Price Picks at pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA. Use code LockedOnNBA for first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. A couple things here before we wrap up. First off, first off De'Aaron Fox, while... Offensively tonight, again, it wasn't a big scoring game for De'Aaron, only 15 points. Did have 10 assists, which you love to see anytime Fox can get into the double digits and assists. That is awesome. But he had five steals tonight. That swipe of the Fox being the swipe we love. He's got 21 steals in the last five games. That's pretty incredible for De'Aaron. This is also his fourth game this season with five-plus steals, and three out of them have been and uh, three of them have been in the last five games. He also passed 600 career steals. We know that De'Aaron Fox is capable of being that pesky defender. This Kings team, they prioritize deflections on the defensive end, not just for De'Aaron, but for, for everybody, for Kevin Herter, for Harrison Barnes, for Keegan Murray. Get into passing lanes, deflect, be nuisances. Don't let a team move the ball as freely and crisply as they want to against Sacramento. Be disruptive. Well, De'Aaron has taken that uh, to heart recently. He's been playing very, very well. want to shout out some other honorable mentions tonight. The Kings bench was fantastic, led by Malik Monk, of course, 23 points, 9 of 13 from the field. Only had two assists tonight, but he took a lot of the scoring load onto his shoulders. He was excellent coming off the bench uh, for Sacramento, uh, proving that, once again, he can start if he wants to, and he can score with the best of them, but... Uh, I mean, it's just a a nice performance, and and Malik is back to that like six man scoring punch that he wasn't he he was struggling with. He went through that scoring drought kind of early on in that that road trip that the Kings just went on. So it's nice to see him kind of back back to him, uh, his his normal self. Also, continuing on the bench, Trey Lyles tonight. He and Monk period have been really good over the past couple of games. But Trey Lyles, fifteen points, five of six from the field, three of four from three point range. Love that efficient shooting from Trey. Also, seven rebounds is great. And then there's Alex Len, who we haven't seen for a handful of games. And I'm telling you, every single time Alex Len plays, good things happen for the Kings. He just always stays ready. And tonight he comes back, eleven points, four of five from the field, two rebounds and one steal. Also want to give some love to Keegan Murray. Great bounce back performance from him after scoring zero points. I don't remember if Keegan's ever scored zero points at any point during his NBA career to this point. He follows it up with a 17-point night, and he does it on efficient shooting, right? Six of 11 from the field. I love the fact that he didn't come back after a tough night like that and say, you know what, I can't have zero points again. I'm going to force the issue. I'm going to take a lot of shots. Right, he, he took shots still within the flow of the offense, had a very efficient scoring night. 17 points isn't the, the, the greatest number or the most impressive number out there, certainly for Keegan. He's had better nights than that. But a good bounce-back performance, a solid, just overall smart, well-played basketball game by Keegan. He needed it. We all needed to see it from him. Also, hey, shout-out to the Sacramento Kings. They shot 88% from the free-throw line, 16 of 18. You love to see that. And finally, got to give some love to Keon Ellis. Keon Ellis going from 
a two-way contract to a full contract with the Sacramento Kings. I talked about it earlier this season. I thought it was only a matter of time before Keon got that full NBA contract. Talk about an excellent story. Not drafted, chooses to join the Sacramento Kings, a two-way player all of last season, starts this season on his second two-way contract, gets an opportunity to play with De'Aaron Fox being injured, starts carves a role out for himself, gets some consistent rotation time, has played really, really well this season, and now here he is with his full multi-year NBA contract. So congratulations to Keon, and I would tell him to keep staying ready because I know Davion Mitchell is still on this team. He didn't get moved at the trade deadline. I don't know if that's going to be Davion's spot forever. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Keon work his way back into the Kings rotation at some point this season. It also wouldn't surprise me at all if Keon ended up getting maybe a few playoff minutes with how important he was to the Sacramento Kings and how well he played for the Kings earlier on this season. Not saying a lot of playoff minutes, because if Keon Ellis is playing a lot in the playoffs, then the Kings are probably in trouble a little bit. But Keon, is ca- he's earned this contract, and he's capable of playing important minutes for Sacramento and making a positive impact. He's great to, a great story. I love to see it. He's also a great young man, so congratulations, Keon. Now I want to hear your thoughts. Are you feeling better? About the trade deadline, feeling better after the Detroit game with this Kings win over the Denver Nuggets? Are you skeptical? Do you need to see a little bit more of it? I mean, this is a tough nine-game stretch for the Sacramento Kings, but they got off to a great start with tonight's win. Let me know how you're feeling. Hit me up on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. You can email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com, or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. Just a heads up. Next Kings game is Sunday, a matinee game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. I am in Las Vegas still covering the Super Bowl. I'm going to be at the the Super Bowl. I'm very excited about that, but that means I'm not probably, maybe I might sneak in an opportunity to to, to do a podcast when the game is done, but I kind of I kind of doubt it. I don't know when I'm going to get that Kings Thunder postgame pod out. I'm just wanting you ahead of time. So just be aware of that. I will try and get it out as soon as I possibly can. But of course, Super Bowl takes priority with my work for ABC 10. But I appreciate your support. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.